0: From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. We're going to be talking about the health issues that affect you most. That's right. This hour is all about you. It's about the things that you've been thinking about, dealing with, with the health of you or your family. You've got a whole hour to address your health concerns today, so give us a call. We would love to hear from you. You can share your comments and questions with us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy from MPB Think Radio.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464 or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio.
0: Good morning. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. I hope everybody's having a great October so far. First week of October. Certainly doesn't feel like it a whole lot. I'm looking for those lower temperatures. Got a little tease of it last week, uh, later in the week. but sure did feel good. I went out for a run and... Uh, later in the day and man it was just if you've been running in this weather and then suddenly go run when it's a little bit cooler and that Mississippi cool, right? So it's eighty-five degrees instead of ninety-five, man, that makes a big difference. But I hope everybody's enjoying at least a hint of that. I'm hoping that the temperatures will drop. We know they will. It's just a matter of when. Uh, But uh, even if they don't, the fair is here. That's right. The uh, Mississippi State Fair is in town in Jackson, so if you're... uh you're visiting in, we welcome you to the Jackson area and uh, hope everybody stays safe out there in those higher temperatures. Of course, it's not all about rides and food, but it's also about a lot of other stuff. So a lot of competitions going on, whether it's livestock or whether it's horticultural with the uh, a lot of the uh, competitions, uh, a lot of different things going on at the Mississippi State Fair and uh, you want to stay safe. Biggest thing about that, particularly if you go with your family, is to uh, have a plan. So uh, we'll talk a little, a little bit about that later. But we want to make sure that you have a chance to call in with any kind of health questions that you might have or comments. The number to call to uh, to have us answer those is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can always send us an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Now a lot of people think about things after the show. Those uh, emails aren't just received during the show. Hope everybody knows that, that we look at those and we try to answer those online, but we also, uh, when, we're, uh, when we're broadcasting live, but we also try to answer those offline too. So if you've got a couple of questions about some things, and uh, maybe it's a little bit longer than uh, what you would normally want to call in with, you can always email us. And we'll try to tackle that and give you some more information uh, back to you. If it's something that we uh, think might be good for the next uh, program, then we'll share it with everybody else. We always love when uh, listeners bring up different health topics because we know there are other people out there that either they uh, may not uh, feel... Uh, open enough to uh, to call in with those same questions, uh, or maybe they just didn't think about it until you brought it up. So please bring it up. You can be that person to share something of the same question or maybe a comment that, that might uh, help somebody else. We're always very open to that. So give us a call today. So the State Fair, man, I can have some fond memories of that through the years. Of going there with my family and friends, and uh, just loving uh, walking around. You see so many things that are uh, that are some things that are strange when you see uh, you start walking around. I know as a parent, certainly my my uh, view of the state fair has changed. Um, Still uh, a great place to go with your family. Uh, you want to make sure that you're doing it in a in a structured way, though. Uh, probably would not uh, just tell your particularly young kids, uh, if you're taking them there just to give them free reign to go uh, wherever they are. But the best thing to do is to have that plan. So no where you parked know uh, what to do if a situation should arise where somebody uh, gets a little lost or they get separated from the main group make sure nobody's traveling alone by themselves from one part to the other even if they want to you know they feel like they can find you but uh, make sure your kids know that too make sure they know exactly where they can go for any kind of help one thing that uh, is always a good thing is just to walk through. It's not that a, a big a complex, so you can walk through those fair, the fairgrounds from one side to the other just to get a lay of the land first, and then you'll, you can spot those things, like these, these are where the restrooms are, this is where uh, the, uh, the uh, law enforcement is, if there's a problem lost and found, things like that, so that uh, your kids and the rest of your family sort of knows uh, where to go back to if they have any kind of problems. Uh, Check in times might be appropriate if you 're going to be there for longer periods of times, um, but those are just some basic things to to keep in mind uh, if you or your family are going to the fair. I know my wife went, uh, most people, I don't know if they know this or not, but the taffy arrives before the fair, which is awesome. Uh, taffy's always been a favorite of mine. My wife went down and, and somehow, I'm not sure what the logistics of this were, and I'm not arguing with it because I think it's a great idea, but she she came home with 10 boxes of taffy, so we are taffied up uh, for a good uh, a good period of time. Uh trying to disperse some of that so my kids don't eat all of it. The number to call this morning if you have a question about your health or the health of someone that you love uh, is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. One of the other concerns uh, at the fair is, uh, you know, the food is so good. I mean, there's so many different things to eat, and a lot of people love funnel cakes or the, the huge turkey legs. Those are some of the biggest I, I if they're not on steroids, I don't know anybody that's uh, any any bird that's not on steroids. But those are huge turkey legs that you can get. Somehow they seem to be a little bit better at the fair and certainly lots of other things to eat some better for you than others. Um, but just some common things that you may want to keep in mind. You know, if you think about uh, catching things at the fair, usually, you know, I know uh, as a resident when I was in training, one of the things we always watched out for, whether it was children or adults, but especially children, is the fair sort of marks the beginning of RSV seasons. That's a virus that can cause uh, some uh, respiratory problems, particularly for younger uh, infants and uh, and children who have respiratory uh, chronic respiratory illnesses like asthma. So that always sort of heralded that. But what is it about this time of year that makes you predisposed to things? Well, as you know, this is flu season two. Just got a report last uh, week, actually, in the news about 80,000 people last year died from the flu. Uh, That's a huge amount. So don't take that lightly. A lot of people say, you know, it's not that bad. I don't have a whole lot of other problems. Uh, I've seen some people who had zero health problems who came down with the flu and were younger individuals, uh, presumably healthy, and then um, they had some either horrendous side effects with that were in the ICU for a long time. Maybe they had some problems with uh, with nerves or muscular function later on, but that can be a big problem. So. Uh, don't take that lightly. And uh, I would advise everybody: go get your flu shot, even if you have a, a, a lower chance of uh, of not getting the flu. Man, I would uh, I would play those odds because you don't want to get it. Eighty thousand people last year died; large amount of people. So back to the fair. So what is it about the fair that can cause a lot of illnesses? You know, a lot of it is just what you're doing in the fair. Any time you eat a whole lot of things and you ride the rides or you're walking around, maybe you're in the heat. There can be a, a lot of complications from that from time to time. But the other thing to keep in mind is that uh, you um, you're touching a lot of stuff, and a lot of the things, both bacteria and viruses that are transmitted back and forth or from us touching things. So surfaces, and you got to do that, getting on and off rides and holding on while you're there. Think about all the people who have touched that before. So when you get to the point that you're going to eat something, make sure you wash your hands. Maybe you want to take some, uh, take some alcohol gel, uh, which actually they have at the fair at a lot of different locations. Most of the places you can sit down to eat or get something to eat, um, is um, they have a lot of the things there to, to uh, sort of sterilize your hands. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can call us this morning at one eight seven seven MPB Ring. Got an open board. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or send an email to remedy at mpbonline dot org. Got an email here. It says that I'm feeling literally being pulled through a deep sleep into wakefulness. What is that? And how do I retrain my brain? So sleep, you know, there's a lot of complaints around sleep, either uh, the inability to fall asleep or stay asleep. There are sleep disorders in the middle of the night where you wake up unexpectedly. And then there's all kinds of different uh, problems with falling asleep during the day. And these can be caused by a large number of things. Uh, a good sleep history is probably the first thing to uh, to look at. So if you're in a deep sleep and you're being pulled into wakefulness, what happened before that? So in the 24 hours or so before that, did you eat anything differently? Did you drink caffeine? You want to minimize those things so that you're not waking up in the middle of the night. Alcohol is one that people don't realize can affect sleep most people feel sleepy anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour after drinking alcohol, but then after about two to four hours, it actually uh, makes it easier for you to wake up in the middle of the night, uh, and uh, that's that's something to keep in mind, too, that you want to limit that. Vigorous exercise right before you go to sleep uh, sort of revs the body up, and it doesn't allow it to relax in the way that it normally should to sort of bring things down. Um, screen screen time too. So what you're looking at can activate different levels of the brain because that's how our eyes work when they're stimulated to various light and wavelengths. So there's a lot of things to think about about the time period right before you're asleep. If you do all that and it doesn't get better, I would probably go see uh, someone who is uh, certified in uh, that's boarded in sleep medicine. Uh, and they can they can look into this a little bit further. You may have something like uh, obstructive sleep apnea or another form of sleep apnea where you're actually uh, you're breathing less than you should at night at, at, while you're asleep, and then waking up from that abruptly. Uh, but there can be a lot of reasons for that, and you may need a sleep study. But I'd start with the simple things and trying to decrease the amount of caffeine, making sure that you have a sort of subdued, um, quiet environment to go to sleep. Uh, right, uh, right before you, uh, you, you, go to bed and make sure that that's consistent too, that you're having some, uh, some consistency to that. You can try the over-the-counter things like melatonin. Sometimes that helps. But if you're waking up in the middle of the night, I would look for some things to improve earlier in the day, uh, that I just mentioned. And then if that doesn't help, go see somebody who's bored in sleep medicine. All right, let's go to our first caller of the hour. Let's go to Ron in, uh, Saltillo. Good morning, Ron. Well, good
2: morning how are you
0: good thanks for calling
2: all righty i just had a hint i learned from a guy who used to be a professional pickpocket pocket in his uh, bad days um <laughs> and i've been doing it for years if i'm in a crowd especially like the state fair men put your wallet in your front pocket Yep. Pit, pick pockets aren't trained to to get your wallet out of the front pocket and it confuses the heck out of them so they'll go somewhere else
0: that's that's some great advice Ron and uh, that goes for your phone too. Particularly the phones that we have nowadays are so big, a lot of them uh they're easy picking uh out well, of that back I pocket.
2: even thought about putting your phone in your back pocket be easy picking
0: Oh yeah, a lot of people do. Yeah. If you look around there's uh, a lot of people who who see that phone out there and they think it's easy to take out. And in crowded yeah. situations that's where pickpockets love to operate. There's so many distractions, you are bumping into people, Uh, It is so easy to do that and lift that right out of your pocket. Um, And it's it's almost easier if you carry um, if you carry your cash in your front pocket. It's a whole lot easier even to get that. I mean, harder to get that out than it is a wallet.
2: Gotcha. Well, listen, I called in with a hint, and
3: I got educated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you thank go. You that's great That's what it's all about, Ron. Thank you for calling in. That's right. Call in, and uh, you can uh, share something with us. We'll share something back with you, because that's the way it works around here at Southern Remedy. We've got uh, plenty of other time for you to call in with any kind of comments that you have or questions about the health of you or your family. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, 672 7464 or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Revity with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one eight seven seven. MPB ring. That's one 672 7464 or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org
0: Welcome back to Southern Remedy and got lots of good advice. We talked to Ron earlier, had some good advice for the fair, but uh, gave a little bit back to him in return. That's a uh, our payment back to him for sharing that with us. We've got plenty of time for you to call in with any kind of comments you might have. It doesn't have to be about the fair. It can be about other things that are near and dear to you or questions about the health of yourself or your family. Give us a call this morning at one mpb ring That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to John in Hattiesburg. Good morning, John. Hey, morning, Doc. How are you? Good. Thanks for calling in this morning.
2: Thanks for taking my call. I have a question regarding the flu shot. Okay. Uh, I, I teach in education, so I'm exposed to students and areas that uh, have quite a few more terms than uh, other, other areas. And I'm wondering, at what age do you recommend that we consider getting the flu shot? I've never had one. I've shied away from them just out of concern that it could actually trigger, uh, you know, trigger some illness uh, after you get it. Uh, I'm just curious to know at what point do, do we start to look at it from a risk standpoint and to make sure that we're preventing it uh, the best we can on our end.
0: Yeah, it's great questions about who should get it. So if you look at all the recommendations, and you you pointed out several Uh, You know, flu is transmitted from person to person through droplets. So when somebody has the flu and they cough uh, or they sneeze, those droplets travel through the air. Uh, So it's airborne. It's transmitted through those airborne particles. But it's also transmitted if somebody touches their mouth or their nose, they cover their mouth or their nose when they sneeze or cough and then put their hands on something else and then we touch it. Actually, that's a much easier way to transmit that than even through the air in a lot of cases so to uh situations that increase the risk of that and you you outlined one so uh you know education where we're exposed to a lot of different people in in uh, crowded places there's just a, a more risk to that airports is another one if i was an airport worker i would probably advise you know, if you're an airport worker to do that too, just because of all the people coming in and out, you'll notice that a lot of the airport workers now have moved to wearing gloves, particularly if they have interaction with uh, a lot of people's stuff. And that's not necessarily for any caustic reasons. It's more f- from a uh, from an environmental uh, exposure to lots of different things that come in and out. So, John, it, it's, it just depends. Uh, now, certainly if you have any kind of health Uh, concern or problem like asthma, COPD, that's chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, uh, heart failure, uh, congenital lung problems, all of those patients are at higher risk for having complications from the flu. It's not necessarily that they get the flu more, but if they got the flu, it would do more damage and cause more problems just because of those other chronic problems. The elderly tend to do a little bit worse and the young tend to do worse with the flu. Uh, so flu age way, age wise, it's recommended all the way down to age, six months of age. It's a little bit different flu vaccine at that, um, at that age, as far as how much we give all the way up until, you know, a hundred or a hundred plus, um, uh, if you are elderly, that's, you know, and I'm elderly being sort of loosely 70 and up, um, no offense to anybody out there. I guess I should have used the word geriatrics instead of elderly. Um, But that's certainly an age range where you you probably need to get it. So, John, you would qualify just because you're in those areas where other people would be, you know, coming in and out. You're certainly going to probably get exposed to it at some point. Healthcare workers is another one. So, you know, we we, – I got my flu shot a couple of weeks ago. So it's uh, something that we don't want to – you know, I certainly – I don't want to get it, but even if I got it, I don't want to give it to somebody else and potentially uh have uh, you know some harm to somebody else. So that's that's the main reason I get it. I don't want to get it, but I don't want to hurt anybody else. But if you if you drill that down, it's just about everybody <clears throat> that could benefit from the flu vaccine. There are a very few uh you know contraindications to that. So you want to talk to your uh talk to your physician about that or talk to your pharmacist. They can certainly at a, at pharmacies, they can talk you through what the the sort of risk benefit ratio. If you're allergic to eggs, there are other ways to get the vaccine uh, where it's not in eggs. There's a couple of different uh, people don't have as as many of those. Uh, there are some vaccines that that have that are made specially if you're worried about some of the components in there. Um, and then also, you know, last year, last couple of years actually, the there is a uh, you know everybody worries about getting the flu from the flu vaccine all of our flu vaccines now are, are killed virus so it's uh or it's it's recombinant virus in other words it's not a live virus so you can't get the flu the symptoms that you get that are similar to getting the flu uh such as sort of a soreness all over or a uh very uh low grade fever maybe 100 101 Uh, those are all go along with the body's immune system is saying, hey, we recognize this as something foreign, and they are mounting an immune response. In a lot of ways, it's it's your uh, evidence that your body's doing what it's supposed to do uh, in preparation for when you're exposed to the flu. That's what you want the body to do. Uh, But it's not that you're getting the flu. The only way you could get the flu, there is a live vaccine that is intranasal that we haven't used in the last couple of years, uh, we used to, to give that to uh, to kids just because it's a little bit better immunity uh, after we get it. It's a nasal spray. Um, that is, again, being recommended for this year. It wasn't recommended for the last couple of years just because it, the the efficacy of it, how well it worked, really wasn't that high uh, because of, of, of well, there's various, various, a lot of different reasons why it didn't work that well. But this year it is available. It's not widespread. Again, it's it's mainly for, for kids. It's great for kids because we didn't have to, you know, they didn't have to give a shot. It was just a little squirt up the nose. Um, but, John, back to your question, I, I think you would probably, uh, you know, we would recommend it in you just to protect you from everybody else. You can maybe expect a little bit of soreness at the site, and uh, sometimes some people get that low-grade fever and soreness all over. But uh, that would be my recommendation to you age-wise. Six months of age and older um and if you're in situations where you're around a lot of other kids or a lot of other people, certainly that's going to put you at a higher risk, and you probably need it
2: that's uh definitely helpful. Do you have time for one quick question? yeah go ahead to- go ahead so you mentioned that uh flu is transmitted through uh contact if somebody coughs and it's on a surface. Is it irrational you know when I'm out at these big box retailers and I'm doing my like, <laughs> grocery shopping
0: yep
2: I Tend to pick products that are behind the front of the shelf. Oh, that's a good I idea. Have, yeah. I, I you know I, I see kids and you know people just walking up and down the aisles coughing, sneezing, and I'm thinking, how long does that last on the actual surface of you know the product that we're touching?
0: Yep. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, particularly kids love to just put their and some adults, uh, you know, just sort of put their fingers out and just touch everything as they walk by. Um, so, and and that's another way to sort of spread that, or you're right. Coughing or sneezing. Have you ever seen those commercials where they slow things down or they illuminate it, they back illuminate it and they show you where all those particles are when somebody sneezes, I mean, they can reach 12 to 15 feet of those particles are out from them. So just because you're, you know, not right up in their face, doesn't mean you're not going to get exposed. That's an excellent idea. Another idea is to, uh, you know, carry a little bit of the alcohol gels Soap and water works fine. You don't have to do the alcohol gels. In fact, there's some studies that suggest that 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 still works a whole lot better than the alcohol, that some of the alcohol doesn't really work that well. But uh, even vigorous washing with water uh, can cut your wrist down. But soap and water work great. Um, so if you're in the grocery store or somewhere like that, that you're you're touching a lot of stuff, wash your hands, wash your hands afterwards and um, sing the birthday song, wash your hands. That's how we teach it in different parts of the world. So about 30 seconds of vigorous washing, not just sort of putting water over your hand and maybe a little bit of soap that somehow gets around your hands.
2: Well, I appreciate your uh, your information and I will... Look to uh,
3: getting the police out this
0: year sure that sounds great all right thank you john for calling in uh we're going to go to sue in beaumont good morning sue
3: hi
4: can you hear me because i'm having trouble with the phone
0: no we can hear you loud and clear sue oh,
4: great well i want to ask you a question about trichinosis because sure. i was given some sausage made by a person who hunts these feral hogs and you know processing process them to eat and uh i ate some of it and it's really good but i kept thinking about trichinosis because people who raise their own hogs or who go out and kill these feral hogs to eat, they don't have any I mean, I guess the FDA or anybody checks them to see if if the hogs have been treated for trichinosis.
0: Right, right. And
4: and now they, I noticed, as a side note, I noticed these like chopped to those TV cook shows, you know, they scold and, and will not for the contestant who does not leave their pork pink in the middle. That that's something new to me that you could not cook pork all the way through, but but I, I just don't like I don't like the idea of eating this wild pork. What, what do you think?
0: What, yeah, if seven, it's,
4: what are the symptoms of trichinosis anyway?
0: So trichinosis that's a round worm, uh, so it is a small you really it's it's microscopic. You're not gonna really see it with the eye crawling around like a worm on the ground. So it comes from eating raw or uncooked meats. Uh, contaminated meats that have this. So the the usual symptoms are uh, nausea, diarrhea. You can have some abdominal cramping with that too. And that's followed usually by some muscle pain and weakness. And you might have a, you're probably going to have a fever and a headache with that. Um, And it can cause inflammation in a number of uh, uh, organs in the body. So it's It can be prolonged, so several weeks can go by with some of these symptoms sort of progressively uh, you know popping up from time to time. There is a blood test to test for that, and that can confirm the diagnosis. The biggest thing is you got to cook your meat and you you mentioned on some of those cooking shows they like to leave the pork uh, pink in the middle. Pork is one of the major offenders uh, of uh, trichinosis of of harboring that round worm. Uh, the, but you can, uh, it, you just need to thoroughly cook it. So if you're eating that at home, I would I would do that. Now, the problem with some of these uh, wild, uh, you know, meats, wild boar, uh, particularly if it's in sausage, is you just got to cook it through and through. Uh, now, freezing pork, not, not meat from wild animals. Now, if you freeze pork, that can kill the larva too. If you thoroughly freeze it, that does kill it. But it's important to, you know, cook it through and through. Uh, to kill the larva, but they, they are susceptible for, for, um, uh, to, um, uh, freezing, but it, it affects a lot of wild animals and, uh, and not, not just livestock, but, you know, pigs, certainly wild boars can have it. We don't need foxes, but they have it too. You know, there's bears, uh, in Alaska, you'll hear of these, uh, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll have bear meat after a bear kill, uh, when they hunt up there. Uh, Native Americans, would get it from walruses, a little bit of trivia there, uh, and a couple other animals that can have it. But the bottom line is thoroughly cook your meat. Um, there's no really testing done on those wild animals, but if they're giving you that, you know, you may want to just weigh the, the benefit risk ratio of, uh, whether or not you want to eat it, but just make sure it's cooked. I, I wouldn't eat particularly wild animals. I, I wouldn't eat them if they're pink in the middle like that. Now we're not talking about deer meat uh, deer aren't, uh, you know, usually don't have this and, uh, th- there's a difference there. So you can certainly, you know, a lot of people will eat that a little bit pinker. Most people cook their, their deer meat through a little bit more than say a steak. Uh, but if you like it rare in the middle, the biggest thing with deer meat is, um, uh, you know, for a flank steak or something like that to you, you get the outside cooked sausages, Anything that's processed where you're grounding up stuff, those bacteria can move from the surface down into the interior. And I don't care how good you do it, how good you prepare it, you're at risk unless you cook that through and through. Does that help, Sue?
4: Well, I heard that that the the deer now have chronic wasting disease, and a lot of places. They so do. I wouldn't, eat, I wouldn't eat deer meat either.
0: Well, it depends on where you you know. Certainly know where you're getting it, and uh, a lot of people like to check out their processors too. Uh, you know, because a lot of processors will will pull meat together, uh, particularly again if it's you know if again if it's sausage. Uh, we tend to eat. Uh, we tend to you know combine stuff together sometimes. So know what your uh, know what your processor's doing. You're right, in some, a lot of areas now. Um, and I'm not sure about your, I think there are some, uh, deer that have been found in your area with that. So chronic wasting disease is a protein based disease. It's sort of like mad cow, but except it's for deer. Uh, we don't know if this is, uh, readily transmitted to humans. We don't want to take the risk, uh, but it affects the nervous system of deer and it can be transmitted from deer to deer, even after they die. So if a deer is feeding in different areas, a lot of places have, uh, have uh, outlawed the, the you know, the um, uh, group feeding areas. So they've just cut back with, about that altogether because that's a that's a place that they can transmit it from one deer to the other. This is out west. They have a lot of problems with it out west. It is in a lot of places, particularly in the Mississippi Delta uh, that borders Arkansas and Louisiana, uh, that they've found a lot of deer. So there's a surveillance program for that. I, you know, is it certainly don't eat it from eat the meat from a deer that's that or a place that has that if you know that it's there, um, but uh, you know if you if you know where you're getting your deer meat and all the deer look okay according to the hunters and it's not being mixed up with other deer meat, it's probably all right.
3: Well,
4: can I just say one more thing? Sure. In Texas, I read a Texas newspaper and they they're in such a problem with feral hogs that they are putting out food for these
0: feral hogs that are loaded down with cumin to kill them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cuminin is a blood thinner. It's uh the one of the old uh ingredients in rat poisoning. So right. uh if you watched 9 to 5, it was in Skinny and Sweet. Uh <laughs> when they got it mixed up. But uh uh man, I'm okay. full of useless trivia today, aren't I? All right, uh thank but you. but uh yeah, thanks thanks to is one of those that uh yeah, they're they're doing that. You want to be really careful with that cuz it can uh uh, interfere with your clotting, so uh, trichinosis is one of those things out there. You just have to be aware of it. Cook your meat. Cook your meat. Um, uh, steaks, it's okay because it's not mixed in. So you're basically, as long as you're using, uh, you know, the, the right kind of techniques in handling that meat when it's raw. Uh, you don't use the same surface. All those things make a lot of sense. Um, you know, if you use a surface for the raw meat, you don't want to put the meat after it's cooked, after it's cooked back on that same thing with utensils that you're using, just common sense things about that. You can have your meat raw and it can be fine without a whole lot of risk of infection. Um, most infectious disease doctors will tell you: cook it all, burn it all, uh, kill everything in it. But uh, people like it a little bit more rare. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Doctor Jimmy, and we're talking about all kinds of things today. Got plenty of time for your questions about the health of you or your family. You can give us a call this morning at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 MPB ring. That's 1 672 7464. Or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org.
0: Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're taking your calls today about the health of yourself or somebody in your family. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464, or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. I almost said com. Sorry about that. Last parts of that just, we should, why do we even have that? Why do we even have Com or Org? Somebody needs to explain that to me sometime. Not right now on the air. All right, let's go to Mikey in Mobile. Good morning, Mikey.
5: Hey, good morning, Dr. Jimmy. Um, uh, Since uh, you were talking about, I appreciate, I so appreciate Sue's questions about um, the things. And this may be somewhat connected. Um, We are... Right now, it's a beautiful day. It's not raining, but there's still water, and there's going to be more water before we're through the hurricane season. Sure. So this is related to mosquitoes. I've heard burying things, and the people who have asked so far don't seem to—they admit that they don't have a definitive answer, and maybe nobody does. Um, But uh, how long mosquitoes—I mean, I've heard that the mosquitoes can last uh, up to—eggs can last up to two years, if the conditions are right and that would include something as simple as magnolia leaves that are upturned and rained on. In other words, they could dehydrate and then be rehydrated. Um, But my real question is, does freezing kill mosquito eggs?
0: Yeah, I think it does because it probably depends on the water content in there. So as you know, know, just like uh, ice in a cup, if you put it in the freezer, uh water expands as it freezes because of that lattice work in there same things happen happens in all cells so a mosquito eggs are, are cells so they're cellular organisms and if you freeze them most of the time those are those are going to expand the water in those cells are going to expand uh, and if it's a hard freeze it's going to- you know be frozen through and through and those at least some of those cells are going to explode because that water in them gets you know gets big enough to to break the cell membrane. So a hard freeze usually will kill those off, but you're right. They're pretty hardy animals. They're going to, you know, find places and keep in mind too, a lot of these places that they, they lurk, they lay their eggs and and it can only be, it can be less than an inch of water. So water's in pots, the catch, uh, catchment basins, um, the, the uh, uh, little dishes that you put underneath a pot that can catch the water. Uh, If it's up underneath a porch, even if you have a freeze, it may not be a hard enough freeze to kill what's in there. So uh, all of us in the South are familiar with mosquitoes hatching out with a warm, you know, a warm spot in December, right after Christmas, January, February, all year, really, we deal with mosquitoes here in the South. Biggest thing is try to get to those areas of water, get rid of them. Uh, Any kind of standing water. That's the biggest thing to do. A lot of other good, I've been using some of these, uh, you know, 15 foot radius uh, things that sort of heat up, uh, citronel, uh, cit- citronella uh, infused cartridges, and uh, that seems to be pretty pretty effective. Uh, a lot of people use the just the old citronell uh, uh, citronella oil candles, but uh, that can uh, irritate them enough to keep them away. But really, you got to break the cycle. But um, I don't know the, the exact answer to that question, Mikey. But that that'd be my my guess is that if it's a hard freeze and they're out in the open and that whatever they're in if that water freezes hard they're not going to live in that all right thank you for calling mikey as always and going to go to harvey in batesville good morning harvey hey harvey are you there
3: yes i'm here
0: thanks for calling you're on the air
3: all right i'm calling i'm calling to um, help that guy out that wants a flu shot and he's kind of worried about it sure if he goes to a uh, Walgreens in his area, they'll take they'll take good care of him. They'll explain all the the, the whole rundown on on getting the flu shot.
0: Yeah, you're right, Harvey. Uh, thank goodness for our pharmacists. Uh, hats off to them and what they do. Uh, not only do they go through a ton of prescriptions every day in a retail pharmacy and uh, trying to get those out there to to different patients, but they're available to talk to you about your medications. Uh, I am, you know, a lot of doctors, uh, have a little bit of resistance to this, but I'll tell you, most doctors do appreciate their pharmacist in double checking things. I love when a pharmacist calls back to say, Hey, are you, are you sure you want to prescribe this medication? Did you know that the patient's actually taking this? A lot of times a patient will forget what they're taking and, or it may be at a different, uh, you know, a different pharmacy. But they are always available. Should be available to talk to you about things like vaccines, and and
3: they do it for all They 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 uh, they they'll counsel you on on everything. Yeah, explain explain what the shot is consist of. And um, I mean, they're really good. they're really,
0: really good. Yeah talk that's a great uh, that's that's a great suggestion, Harvey. Talk, talk to your pharmacist not just about the medications but about immunizations too that you might qualify for or just to talk about uh, the risk benefit ratio there. So great yeah, advice.
3: Allergy, allergies or whatever and that I mean they, they really really helped you. so uh, I, I would suggest that he that's what he would do.
0: Excellent advice. Thank you for sharing that, Harvey.
3: All right, yeah, have a good day.
0: you too. Yeah. Thank you. Love it. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, and the number to call if you'd like for uh, us to answer your questions, or maybe you have a comment that you'd like to share with us, is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us at remedy at Online dot org. Let's go to Marie in Hattiesburg. Uh, yes, uh, I would like to
5: ask you what do you recommend? One of my daughters is an emergency room doctor, uh-huh. and she works in uh, the night shift. Yeah. And she, she's having problems readjusting, you know, her body to sleep when she is not
0: yeah.
5: working. So I'd like to know uh, if they, if you have any suggestions.
0: Yeah, that's a tough one. And I have some patients that do work uh nights. I have a few that that's all they've worked all their life in. and we're talking about 15 or 20 years that they, you know, their whole careers have been doing mostly night shift. And that is a difficult one to deal with sleep disorders. Um there are a lot of uh, you know, some people deal with it just fine. Um the problem the biggest problem is when you do night shifts and then day shifts and you're back and forth. So you may do maybe Seven you know seven days in a row or five days in a row where you're working nights, and then you may have three or four days off, and then you're switching to days. so the body has a natural rhythm to that, and it works off of light. so there are receptors in the back of our in the back of our eye on the retina that um they basically uh, talk to the brain centers that control sleep and wakefulness, so that when the wavelength of light that we would normally see outside uh when it's light, when the sun comes up. That activates our brain. So even light in the room, even if you have your eyes closed, that wavelength can communicate to your brain, hey, it's time to wake up. Same thing happens at night. Uh, So that when you work a night shift, that has to reset. And the problem is when you go to sleep, a lot of people will try to get the room as dark as possible. That helps to sort of reset that clock, not have a whole lot of distractions. One of the main hormones uh, that the body uses to regulate that is called melatonin. Uh, So that's produced in the brain. There is an uh, over-the-counter, non-prescription herbal supplement, I guess, but that's melatonin, same name. And you can take this. It's totally safe. And it's the best research in how it works is resetting the body's clock. It's not as good. A lot of people will swear by it, like just getting to sleep. But um, it is good if you're, if you're doing shift work like that. So you're working nights or you're maybe jet lag is, you know, that's one of the, the main things that it was studied in to begin with. But it helps to reset that clock, and that's good. So particularly as they're coming off of that, they could take the melatonin. Uh, again, just get it at any pharmacy over the counter. Usually take one to three milligrams and uh, see if that works uh, before they would go to sleep. Make sure that they're keeping the light levels down. Um, in the room that they're sleeping in and try to keep all distractions down. It is difficult, Marie. I, it, it's it's hard to uh, to regulate that system, and some people's brains are very resistant to being reset like that. But those are the things that I would try. Again, a sleep specialist might help out in some ways uh, to try to do some other things. Uh, I don't like to use a whole lot of other medications uh, in, in trying to reset that. There are some that are used, uh, you know, sonatas one, is one. They all have a lot of uh, you know potential side effects. But I like to just do some you know try to try to reset the environment first. So I would go with that first. And if you have any problems, have them have them uh, check in with a, a physician. Well,
5: thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for calling. Let's thank go to you. Kenny in Oxford. Good morning, Kenny.
6: Uh, good morning. Uh, my question is, is also related to uh sleep issue. Uh-huh. Um, I've been on the CPAP machine for approximately three years. And I just came from a sleep sleep doctor's appointment where he wants to give me a full day of sleep treatment. My, my wife, she says that his doctor doesn't know what he's talking about, that I should switch doctors. My uh, I'm, I'm, Trying to convince her that I would rather stay with my same doctor and be treated with with him. What's what's your what's your thought on on that?
0: So, Kenny, just to just to get a little clarification, are they talking about when you say a full day's sleep? Is that wearing the CPAP or is that like medically induced? Because a lot of a lot, you know, there are. Some physicians that do recommend other things to to you know have a, a sort of a medication induced sleep for twenty four hours is that what he's talking about or is no, he talking about? To- no
6: he, he wants me to uh, uh get a full night's sleep still staying at the at the clinic
0: uh-huh.
6: and uh, um, uh, doing a couple of things for about two hours and then going back to sleep, doing something for about two hours and going back to sleep basically a full day's of uh, sleep testing, gotcha. Going in at seven in the evening and leaving the next day at four, about approximately four PM.
0: Yeah, I, you know, and I don't know the specifics about why they would want to do that because it is sort of interrupted. Once in two hours of sleep, barely allows you to get into to REM sleep for most people. Right. Uh, so it sounds like this is more of a diagnostic test than something that's going to help you long term to try to figure out what's going on during those times if you go back to sleep. I, I certainly would,
6: rec- would you recommend it?
0: I certainly don't think it's going to hurt you. That I, and again, I, I'm not sure what the doctor's thinking about. You know, I would ask them. So tell me, what is the What's the reason for this? If it's supposed to help you sleep better afterwards, I'm not aware of this as a technique to do that. It doesn't mean it's it's a, a a valuable technique in that for you. I don't think it's gonna hurt you in doing that. I mean it really it's the same thing. A lot of people uh will get a good night's sleep on the week you know, on a Friday night and they're not working on the weekends and they may take a couple of naps during the day and they feel better. That's fine. I mean if you've got a sleep deficit, that might help. Doing it at the clinic is just going to give more information about what happens during that time. So they he may be, they may be looking at what is going on in your brain and what the sleep patterns are if you did take some naps, and that would give you more information about whether that would be a useful thing to do uh, on other days. That's the only thing I can think of. It's not going to hurt you. I, it's certainly not going to hurt you to do that.
6: Okay. Uh, thank you. I'll, I um, I appreciate that. I'll trying to explain it to my wife
0: and um, she should be on my side. Sure. All right. Okay. Good luck to you. Thanks for calling, uh, Kenny. I
6: appreciate it. Thank
0: you. All right. This is Southern Remedy. We're going to take on one last break. Plenty of time for you to call in though. You can give us a call this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 MPB Ring. That's one 877 Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy.
0: I'm Dr. Jimmy. And we're here taking your calls about the health issues that are near and dear to you and your family. You can call us in with those still got a couple of minutes left that we can slide one or two, maybe three in there. So uh, don't feel like you've run out of time. You can still call us and reach us this morning at one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. A couple of infections that people are worried about to fair. I mentioned that earlier. I just wanted to... to you know, put this out there. And actually my son had this, you know, petting zoos are a big thing. So with your kids, they certainly have some animals out there that are cute, uh, that, uh, you can pet, uh, you know, little baby goats and, uh, uh, lots of other little baby animal animals. But, uh, be sure that your, your kids are washing their hands appropriately. You know, I have these images just even talking about it, about, uh, little girls and they'll pet these or, or boys will pet these animals. And then immediately they'll get so excited to put their hands right in their mouth. Uh, so, you know, there are a lot, uh, some risk involved with that. Uh, my son had a, a E. coli infection from that. So, uh, you know, years ago. So you just want to be careful with that. Uh, and they do have alcohol, um, dispensers, um, uh, alcohol gel dispensers in those areas that you can use. So just, uh, to keep that in mind and, uh, um, uh, that's, uh, something you want to be aware of just with the risk there at the fair, but do have a good time. Let's go to Richard in Birmingham, Alabama. Oops. Sorry. Sorry about that. I jumped the gun a little bit. Richard. Good morning.
5: Hey, good morning. I, my question is I'm on the road a good bit and I'm wondering about fasting, uh-huh. intermittent fasting or fasting for health. I'm just wondering, should I, basically, should I
3: eat junk food or should I just not eat?
0: (laughs) So, uh, uh, you know, food on the go. Right, exactly. So, uh, you know, that's a great question with, uh, you know, if you're on the road a lot and traveling around, how do you eat right? I mean, that's the, the bottom line with this. And Richard's right. It is a little bit hard to do that. Fasting, a lot of people do that as a uh, a regimented way of, of their health. Uh, it's been studied a good bit. Uh, the body transitions its energy supplies to different uh, different systems, uh, when you fast. So you are utilizing a little bit different systems. For most people, it is something that is not uh, detrimental in any kind of way. Uh, it, it, for some people, it might be. So if you have uh, other um, you know, conditions like diabetes, hypertension, check with your physician first. Try to carry something with you. You know, fruit, that's always something good to eat on the road so that you're not eating a whole lot of fast food. Uh, And there are a lot of apps out there that will show you the healthier places to eat. A lot of fast food places have have transitioned to that too. So I've seen, you know, truckers out there that are doing that. So check that out. Probably okay to fast, but just check with your physician first. That's all the time we have today. Southern Remedy has been a production of MPB Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from you. You can join us next Wednesday at 11 for Southern Remedy and stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.